0: But uh, tonight we're talking about uh, spiritual enlightenment. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. It's been a period of time since we've been in Ephesians, but we're working our way through it. We looked at the long introductory section of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with. All spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And so we talked about that great doctrine of election and how it is intended to bring glory to God. The riches of the glory of his grace. The abounding goodness of God in saving us. After that uh, great theological treatise comes a prayer for our spiritual understanding enlightenment, and so we want to look at uh, the introduction to the prayer. Uh, so, in our introduction it reads, there is a great need of, on our part for spiritual understanding and or discernment. Metaphorically, the Bible speaks of having our eyes open to this truth. So the key verses are Ephesians 1, 15 through 18, for this reason... Because I have heard your faith in Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and it goes on, and the third one is, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us to believe. So tonight we're going to be talking about spiritual enlightenment. And the first thing we want to consider is who is that who is it that stands in need of spiritual enlightenment? And the answer is it is those who have already believed in Lord Jesus Christ. Or it says in verse fifteen, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in Lord Jesus. So he, he's talking about believers that he's praying that they have spiritual enlightenment. So it would include us. Um, We might think that because we are believers that we don't stand in need of spiritual enlightenment. We might think we're already enlightened, and that is true to a degree, but we still need uh, greater spiritual enlightenment. And answer, uh, who who stands in need of spiritual enlightenment? Secondly, it is those who are already living godly lives. For it says... I heard of your faith, Lord Jesus Christ, and your love toward all the saints. So they are not uh, suffering as far as their application of truth is concerned. Uh, It isn't as though they have an understanding, but they're not living it out in a practical sense. But they are demonstrating love towards each other. Uh, And still, Paul is praying that they would have a greater spiritual enlightenment. So number two, how is spiritual enlightenment to be obtained? Well, answer, first of all, spiritual enlightenment is a result of prayer. Do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Secondly, spiritual enlightenment comes from God the Father, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And thirdly, Spiritual enlightenment comes through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1:17, uh, that uh, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. It is the Holy Spirit who's the source of understanding of the Scriptures. Uh, he's referred to as the Spirit of Wisdom. And it is the Holy Spirit who's the author of the Scriptures. Uh, so he is the Spirit of Revelation in verse 17. So uh, wisdom comes from the spirit and the revelation the, the truth of God's word comes from the holy spirit second peter 1:20 20 and 21 knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the holy spirit So the point is that this spiritual enlightenment comes from God through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be praying for spiritual enlightenment as we come to the scriptures. What I want to stress to you is that there is a need for the Spirit of God to open our eyes, and we're going to talk about what that means, to understand His truth. The way in which we come to fully understand, comprehend, and apply the Scriptures is more than just an academic exercise. It is more than just our putting principles together, study methods in which we are going to arrive at the truth. Now, I personally have a high value for hermeneutics, that is the process of studying the scriptures. I am not saying that the academic exercise is not important. It's very important. There are two extremes that are abusive. The one is to downplay the importance of of the actual study of Scripture, the, the academics behind it, if you will, and take purely a mystical view that says, I'm just gonna pray and the Spirit of God is gonna open my eyes and show me everything I need to know. Uh, no, there, 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 needs to, to there, there needs to be study. Uh, there needs to be a close looking at the Scripture, doing word studies, <coughs> grammatical understanding, Uh, uh, diagramming sentences, all those kinds of things are extremely helpful, but the point is, it's not enough. It's not enough. There needs to be the opening of our eyes by the Holy Spirit. In the book of Timothy, it refers to those who are ever learning, but unable to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, You can spend a lifetime studying the Scriptures and still not really come to understand and grasp the things that you need to. So there's this need for spiritual enlightenment, but, but what does it look like, and what is the goal? Well, number three, what's the goal of spiritual enlightenment? Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your understanding enlightened with this purpose, that you may know, that you may know, was the hope to which you are called, riches, the glory of the inherent saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? Okay, so it's that you may know, and the word for know is an experiential knowledge of God's truth. So the goal is greater spiritual understanding, awareness, and experience of God's truth. We want to get to the place in which we have a complete well-rounded understanding of God's truths. That includes the correct doctrine, that we understand what God's word has to say to us, but it's more than just an ability to explain doctrinal truth, it is the appropriation of that truth. It's one thing to be able to explain, for example, the way to salvation, to know the Romans road, to know what the gospel is, and you can explain it as quite another to have embraced it and to believe it, and to submit yourself to the gospel, and and you are trusting in the Lord as your Savior. And it is still another degree or level that we experience comfort from that gospel. That we understand it in such a way. You think of Many, many children, when they come to know the Lord as their Savior, and they pray to ask Jesus to forgive them for their their sins, and they commit a sin, and they're asking Jesus to come into their heart again and to forgive them their their sins, and they they accept Jesus over and over again, right? Maybe that's your experience as you are coming to understand a a greater understanding of, of the gospel. But you get to the place where the gospel... Uh, encourages you, comforts you, so that you know deep down inside that you are right with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and having placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's one example of what we're, we're talking about, but we'll look at the scriptural examples in just a moment. B, Paul is praying that the Ephesians would have spiritual understanding of the doctrinal truths that he is sharing with them. Ephesians 1.18. And here are the, the uh, three main elements of the spiritual doctrines that he is sharing with them. What is the hope to which you have been called? Second, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints? And thirdly, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us to believe? I'll be unpacking those in the weeks to come. Tonight, just looking at this aspect of spiritual understanding. So, number four, what does it mean to be spiritually enlightened? Ephesians 1:18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. To have one's eyes opened is to see what one cannot see by the natural eye. And now, a consideration of the informing theology of having one's eyes opened. Uh, you may not be familiar with that term, but I use it often. Informing theology is simply understanding how something is used throughout the Scripture. And there are portions of Scripture where something is mentioned, and it's assumed that you understand the Old Testament. It's assumed that you understand these previous references, and they build upon each other. So what we're going to do tonight is simply go through the Scripture and look at places where people's eyes have been opened uh, to see what is that experience, what took place, what happened, when their eyes were open, and why they needed to have their eyes opened. So the first example is a negative example, actually, with Adam and Eve. Number one, God had told Adam that he was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2:17. by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, will not, you shall not eat for the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But Satan had deceived Eve and the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it. Your eyes will be opened. Your eyes will be opened. You will understand truth. And the implication here is that God doesn't want you to understand. God wants to keep you in the dark. Uh, God doesn't want you to uh, come to an understanding of various Truths. And it's been kind of odd to me that people have said to me in the past, especially when you get into the meatier things of the word, when, when you get into some of the more complicated doctrines, uh, people will say, I'm not so sure God wants us to understand that. I'm not so sure that, that we really are to know that. Well, the scripture says the revealed things belong unto God, unto us, but the secret things belong unto God. Meaning, the things that are revealed, the things that are taught in the scripture, that's our domain. The things that are not revealed in scripture are not our domain. So we are not to look for spiritual understanding apart from the scriptures. We're not to be going to tarot cards, we're not to be going to... to, uh, mediums. uh, We're not to be using Ouija boards. We're not trying to understand spiritual truth apart from the scriptures and what God has given us as a domain. So God said to Adam and Eve, that's out of bounds for you. You can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but they were not satisfied with that prohibition, and they were going to the tree of knowledge of good and evil in order to gain the understanding that, that they desired to have. But in this essence, it's more than just wanting to understand the truth. There's an implication here in, in Genesis chapter uh, 2 that what they really wanted to do was to discern for themselves what was right and what was wrong. They wanted to make a determination of what was good, and what was evil, as opposed to allowing God to make that determination of what is good and evil. And that personifies, many times, people's pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, People want to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong, as opposed to looking to the Scriptures for what is right and, and what is wrong. But number three, Eve was deceived in believing that which was evil was actually good. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and then thirdly, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to the husband who was with her, and he ate but they did not gain a true knowledge of spiritual wisdom; they received a corrupted knowledge of wisdom. And so the Bible warns against the perverse thinking of the natural mind that rejects God's appraisal upon life. Isaiah chapter five verse twenty: Woe to those who call good uh, excuse me, the woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Uh, those that want to determine for themselves what is right or wrong. So now looking at the biblical examples of people whose eyes were opened and what we learned from them. Uh, the first one that we encounter in the scripture is Hagar. Remember, Hagar was the handmaid of Sarah. And uh, when Sarah was unable to conceive a child, uh, she was given, uh, she gave Hagar to Abraham to have a child by uh, her handmaid, and Ishmael was born. So here's the account, verse 14. So Abraham rose in the morning and took bread. And, uh, sc- excuse me. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. Uh, she becomes proud as a result of having the child, and Sarah can't have one, and she ho- lords it over uh, Sarah, so Sarah sends her away. And this is a, an account of that happening. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot for she said let me not look upon the death of the child And she sat opposite him lifted up her voice and wept and god heard the voice of the boy and the angel of god called to hagar from heaven and said to her what troubles you hagar fear not for god has heard the voice of the boy where he is up lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for i will make you a great nation Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. Now, it would appear in the text that this well did not just miraculously appear. It doesn't appear at this moment that he created the well, but he brought her attention to the well, if you will. What she had not noticed, what she had not been aware of. And one of the experiences I am sure you've had as you read your Bible through and you've read your Bible through repeatedly that there are times in which you notice things that you hadn't noticed before. As you read God's word, there are certain things that kind of just jump off the page, and you say to yourself, now, why didn't I see that before? Why, why Why didn't that strike me before? Well, that's the kind of spiritual enlightenment that we are speaking of, of God making aware to us truths of God's word that is so easy for us to ignore, and especially to ignore the application, to ignore the comfort, to ignore the rebuke, and not to see the fullness of what is in front of us. So one of the ways in which God gives us spiritual understanding is for us to notice, if you will, to see things in the scriptures that we hadn't seen before. And that's what we desire, That God would give us a deeper, clearer, richer understanding of the scriptures so that we are constantly learning and applying, seeing what the word of God has to say. The second is God opened the eyes of Elisha's servant. Now in verse 15 it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city. Uh, This is talking about a time in which uh, Elisha is uh, penned in uh, by uh, enemy forces that are seeking to undo him and they are in a great predicament. So verse 15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So he was, his eyes were open to see God's protection, to see God's deliverance. Now, I don't anticipate that when we are praying for spiritual enlightenment that all of a sudden we're going to be able to see the spiritual realm and we're going to see angels. I believe we're surrounded by angels. I believe that there is a spiritual dimension that is invisible to our eye that one day we will see. I don't expect a revelatory act in which we are going to actually see the angels that are standing around about us, but what I do expect is that we would come to have this spiritual understanding that gives us comfort and peace as we understand the truth of God's word, namely that he does surround us with protection. That there is an army of a heavenly host. That these things are not just myths or stories, but they are realities. They are realities. So in that essence, it's imparting to us faith. Faith that we really believe what the Word of God is telling us. D, on the road to Emmaus, the Lord Jesus opened the eyes of his disciples. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, namely the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and the account of the resurrection. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So here's the opposite of their eyes being opened. Here, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The clear implication is that Jesus was recognizable, that the body in the tomb is the body outside the tomb. Uh, he says to, his, to, to Thomas, put your hand in the nail prints of my side, see and believe. So they were kept from, from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is the conversation they were holding each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So here is, he opened the scriptures to them so that they understood the scriptures and what they taught about Christ that they had not understood before. They were familiar with the scriptures, but they didn't understand their implication about the teaching concerning Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And you can understand that readily. I mean, uh, Isaiah 53, we look at that and it's so plain to us on this side of the cross. But on the other side of the cross, it's not nearly as plain as we think about the depiction of Christ's death and its benefits. I would liken it unto our study of the book of Revelation. On the other side, Revelation is going to make a whole lot of sense to us. But right now, there's much in the book of Revelation that is mysterious to us, that's difficult for us to understand. We need spiritual understanding. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to to give us insight and wisdom about the proper way to apply these particular truths that are difficult for us to gather. Verse 28, So they drew near to the village to which... They were going. He acted as if he were going further, and they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Next we have Jesus opened the eyes of the eleven disciples. Luke 24, 33. And they came that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. Then he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There was much that Jesus had told them before the crucifixion. But they didn't understand what Jesus had said. Even though he repeatedly explained the parables to them in private and they asked why he spoke to the people in parables and he said so they may not understand. Uh, It was Jesus' intention to keep them in the dark but he would explain it to his disciples. But even though he privately explained to his disciples there was much that they didn't understand and what is the amazing part of that is that The disciples failed to understand some of the things that even the non believing Pharisees and Sadducees uh, understood. For example, if you remember, the Pharisees come to Jesus, the ruler of the the people, asking for a uh, guard to be placed around the tomb because they said this charlatan said that he was going to rise again in three days. They got it, that Jesus said he was going to rise again in three days. The disciples didn't get it, that he was going to rise again in three days. They weren't expecting the resurrection. Now, the Pharisees weren't expecting it either. They didn't really think it was going to happen, but they understood what Jesus said and the implications of the problem of having an empty tomb. There are just some really strange things in life, and that is uh, one of, you know, the best Bible commentators, uh, himself doesn't actually put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior. He's very good at understanding the text. He he can do the academic work, but he hasn't embraced the gospel. He can explain it. He gets it at a head knowledge level, but God hasn't opened his eyes to understand the truth of it. And so here is God opening their minds to understand the scriptures. F. Jesus uses the opening of the physical eyes of the physically blind so that they can see to illustrate the opening of the spiritual eyes of the spiritually blind so that they can see. In John chapter 9, verses 13 and following, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Jesus heals a a man of his blindness. Verse 14, that was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, that is the blind man, how he had received his sight, And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? Meaning he gave him the ability to physically see. He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. Verse 26. So the Pharisees say to the blind man, they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but it's for this man. We do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to them, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. So the point is they weren't coming to Jesus for spiritual understanding they were declaring that they already knew the truth. They already knew the truth. So if we willingly close our eyes, as it were, if, if we are unwilling to yield to what the Word of God says, we will not come to a knowledge of the truth. That, that's obvious. I, I would trust that that would be obvious, apart from the incredible grace of and working of God, such as Paul on the road to Damascus. And uh, God says to him on the road to Damascus, how long will you kick against the goads? There were so many opportunities for uh, Paul to have heard the truth and to understand the truth. First of all, if you remember that that he receives a classic education in the scriptures. Uh, he was a disciple of Gamaliel the greatest scholar alive at that time of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament and yet he did not truly understand what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. Uh, Paul is standing by when Stephen is martyred. and The scriptures tell us that he actually held the very garments of Stephen as Stephen was being martyred. He heard Stephen's testimony. He heard that message that Stephen gave. He saw the dedication of Stephen. He saw the belief of Stephen, and it did not affect Saul at all. And on the road to Damascus, God intervenes. Says, how long are you going to kick against the goats? How long are you going to resist? How long are you going to close your eyes, as it were? to what God's word has to say. And there are a lot of people that do in fact close their eyes to God's truth. They simply refuse to yield to it. And when they come under conviction, they try to get it out of their mind. They, They try to put those thoughts behind them. They refuse to believe. And so God, in his great irony, and in his great use of metaphor, blinds Paul on the road to Damascus so that he cannot see. To teach him of his blindness, to teach him that you can't see, that you don't understand, That he was haughty, he was proud. He saw himself as a teacher of the teachers, as Paul gives his testimony. He said, before the law, blameless. He couldn't see his sin. He couldn't see all these things. So God smites him with blindness and sends him to the prophet for his eyes to be opened. For him to see, not only physically, but to see spiritually. So real spiritual understanding begins with our darkness. Our darkness. Now, we are not totally blind as the people of God. But Paul writes in the book of Corinthians, we see in a glass darkly. Meaning, we don't, we don't see clearly. We don't see clearly. Uh, I can't read at all without these things. Unless the font is absolutely huge. I can see. But I can't see clearly when I read. And there is a measure of humility that we have to have in order to really obtain spiritual truth and that measure of humility begins with an understanding that i'm not able to really understand this truth apart from god's grace apart from god's goodness apart from my god opening my eyes and so if we don't pray the prayer as The psalmist tells us in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from thy law. If that doesn't begin our devotional life, if if we don't start with our Bible study from that perspective, if we aren't preparing our Sunday school lessons, if we aren't starting our Wednesday night preparation, if I begin to try to prepare a sermon without a recognition of God, you need to open my eyes. that I might understand the great truths of your scripture, that that I would be able to explain, but more than just explain that, that first of all, that I myself would benefit from it, that that my life would be transformed, that, that I would be changed, that I would believe these things, and I would passionately share these things. So if we don't start with that, we are in the category like the Pharisees. We're not Pharisees because we're believers, but it's not a longing after the truth. It's not a recognition of the measure of depravity in our own hearts and, and minds. We need God to open our hearts and minds to what the Word of God says. So I would implore you, as you read your Bible through, as you study, as you go to God's Word, that before you open it, you simply offer up a prayer asking God to reveal things to you, to to give you the ability to notice things you hadn't noticed before, to be able to believe things that you've struggled with before, to give you a humble heart that you will accept things that before you said, oh, I don't think that's right, I don't think that's true. But you're willing to allow the word of God to speak for itself. And it's transforming. So as soon as Paul praised this truth, excuse me, so as soon as God... Soon as Paul shares the truth about God in the beginning of chapter 1, even before he gets to chapter 2, 3, and through 6, his prayer is that God would give them understanding. Open their eyes to these things, which then gives us the second application. And that is as a Sunday school teacher, Wednesday nights, as you share. God's word, the first step is to ask God to reveal God's truth to you. Open your heart to understand these truths and then as you share, not to rely in your ability to explain God's truth. Not to rely on your orderliness in explaining God's truth. Your selectivity in the words that you use that you aren't relying upon your oratory but rather you're praying and asking God to give your hearers an understanding of God's truth. For without, without the Spirit of God working preaching is meaningless teaching is meaningless it won't produce the desired effect without God opening the hearts and minds of those who hear it. So we who share God's word, it's true of witnessing, it's true of teaching our children at home family devotions. Pray that as you share God's truth that God would open the hearts and minds of those that you're talking to, that they would believe these things, accept these things. Be enriched by these things. Understand them. Know them. Fully accept them. Let's pray for spiritual understanding. Our Father, we do ask that you would help us to understand your truth. Lord, it's a great mystery as we think of human responsibility and God's sovereignty, and certainly you have put a great onus upon us to be studying your word and to accurately preparing and to teach God's word. But yet, Lord, we know a futility apart from your spirit at work, from beginning to end, first in opening our own eyes and then opening the eyes of those to whom we have the opportunity to share your truth. And so, Lord, we rely not upon ourselves, We look not to our own wisdom. We look not to our own insight. We look not to our own academic prowess. Lord, we look to you, and we ask you to help us. Help us to believe. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.